I'm John McDevitt with Paul Kurtz, and we are the Beer and Booze Bros. What's that thing called uh, where the, the they store it? A tank, I believe, right? It was a tank. Yeah. On today's episode. The famous rye whiskeys made in Pennsylvania historically were made with something called Rosen Rye. So I went out and asked my, the farmers we're working with, they, just, they had no idea. The grain was nowhere to be found. In fact, it disappeared from Pennsylvania fields about 100 years ago. A Bucks County whiskey producer partners with a local university to revive the grain. A test batch of Rosen Rye whiskey is planned. And this is an experiment where we're taking something that we really don't know what the result is going to be. We also went on a tour of Dad's Hat Rye Whiskey Distillery in Bristol Bucks County and sampled some of their delicious products. Uh, so I just joined. I'm, in my I'm just going to pluck one of these beers. Oh, please do. A popular brewery with more than a dozen establishments in the region is getting ready to open its first Philadelphia location next month in Center City. We're expecting a lot of traffic. Obviously, downtown Philadelphia, you get tourist crowds seasonally. Uh, you get convention traffic. It's a welcome addition to the East Market Corridor redevelopment efforts. They're mixing humor in with the beer at one brewery tour in Philadelphia. The Declaration of Independence was written on 8% alcohol. Probably couldn't even see the quill or the parchment. He was just like, I'm going to make a country. And he did it. And that's how America happened. And we run into Ben Franklin and friends on a Tipler's tour in Old City. What it is and what we learned later in the podcast. I've never toasted like that. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's good. <laughs> it's time for another episode. Dad's Hat Pennsylvania Rye Whiskey Distillery in Bristol Bucks County prides itself in the Pennsylvania tradition of whiskey production dating back to the early 1800s. The craft whiskey producer has partnered with Delaware Valley University in Doylestown to bring back a grain called Rosen Rye. It hasn't been grown in the U.S. for 100 years. An experimental batch of Rosen Rye whiskey is planned. The boiler was roaring inside the Dad's Hat Distillery in Bristol, Pennsylvania. Herman Mahalich, the founder and distiller of Dad's Hat, was hard at work. We speak with him first about an experimental whiskey. The grain used in it has not been grown in Pennsylvania commercially for about a century. Prohibition is part to blame for its disappearance. A very new effort going on with a local university, right? Yes, and that's something that I'm I'm particularly uh, tickled with because... Looking at all the historical information and all the old recipes, we saw that these uh, distillers making the historically, uh, you know, the, 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 the famous rye whiskeys made in Pennsylvania historically were made with something called Rosen Rye, the grain called Rosen Rye. So I went out and asked my, the farmers we're working with locally, and I said, hey, do you guys know where this Rosen Rye is from? And they, just, they had no idea. I asked the um, Penn State Extension. They didn't know. I called Michigan State because Michigan State introduced this rye variety in, in uh, 1909. They didn't know. So um, I had a uh, John John Urbanchek, who's a professor at Delval University. Yeah, we I spoke with him yesterday. We, yep. we got him on tape. He's going to be in, incorporated in here somehow. Cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> he was here on a tour. I think it was like three years ago or so. And during the procedure, I introduced myself to Herman Mahalich, who's the, the, the founder and runs the place. 
And he said, you know, I'd be interested in talking with Del Val about growing a heritage variety rye for us. Rosen rye, it hasn't been grown commercially in the United States in over 100 years. So I said, yeah, I'm sure we can do that. I went back and talked to our, our uh, agricultural production people, and they said, okay, yeah, we can do that. Get us some seed. And Herman said, well, I don't have any seed. And so he did a little research and found out that the only place you could get it was in the uh, USDA seed bank. The USDA has a seed depository. I contacted them and told them what we were planning to do, and they said, okay, fine, we'll give you five grams of seed. That's all you get. If you want more, plant it, harvest it, plant it, harvest it, and so forth. Don't come back to us, you won't get any more. So that's what we did. We took that original five grams, we split it up amongst three of us, and we all grew it. And we harvested that, we replanted it, we harvested that, and now we're har- we just harvested a couple of weeks ago our third harvest. Remember, we started with five grams of seed. At the end of our second harvest, we had almost eight and a half pounds of seed. This year, I don't know what we have yet, but it's going to be 30 to 40 pounds of seed, which will be more than enough to plant a full acre and give Herman some seed that he can use to run a test batch of his rye whiskey, which is what he wants to do. So that's going to be probably, assuming I get the grain in the next week or so, it's about a week for the fermentation and another week for the to do the distillation and get that ready to you know, clean up. So by, by September, we should have an idea of what we got. And Professor, are you excited to test, to taste the small batch? Oh, am I excited to taste it? Yes, I am, I will tell you. We're interested to see if, in fact, there is a flavor difference. We've done the... Uh, the chemical tests, nutrition tests to, to test the Rosen varieties against conventional varieties. And there are some differences, nothing significant one way or the other, but the real proof will be in the tasting. What did your students, the, the, those that participated in this, what did they get out of it? Well, I told you we have professional farm managers who, who manage our, our agricultural operations, but all the work's done by students. I have some agribusiness students who work, in fact, all my students work in one form or another, uh, work in, in the crop science area and work in the dairy area, they got the experience of helping plant it, watch it grow, harvesting it. They're getting hands-on experience in actual crop production. From our perspective as an educational institution, this is, this is an experiment, okay? It is an actual, for real, honest-to-God experiment where we're taking something that we really don't know what the result is going to be. We know it's grown uh, and we're able to harvest the seed, but it gives us the opportunity, one, to really learn about this in a way that you just don't get when you're, when you're studying a textbook. We went on a tour of the place, too, and uh, that, that was fun, right, John? Yeah, we used ladles. Yeah, for the this, samples. That's kind of cool. And this, uh, the samples came right out of that, what's that thing called, uh, where the, the, they store it? A tank, I believe, right? It was a tank. Yeah. So, it was, and then he, he just tasted it. and Yeah. I think we sampled. But we, we drank three. it at the same label, and I wanted to say that was disgusting, but it was so delicious I didn't care. And one of the samples was Rock and Rye. It will be out in stores just in time for the holidays. Rock and Rye is a, it starts, uh, the history of Rock and Rye dates back to the 1800s when the practice in bars, if you had some really rough whiskey, you'd take a piece of rock candy and plunk it in there and uh, to, you know, kind of make it a little easier to drink. 
Then, through Victorian times, it got transformed into a, an elixir because it, like a, a proper Victorian gentleman or, or lady would not be caught drinking whiskey because that would not be proper. So they, um, you, so you took this rye whiskey and you would add citrus fruit to it and uh, a whorehound, which is a natural uh, cough suppressant. Uh, it's a herb. It's an herb, yeah. And, uh, you steep that in there like a tea. And you add uh, uh, cloves and cinnamon and uh, and things and and some and some uh, candy and uh, and sugar to sweeten it up. And did you um, make your own rock candy for it? Uh, no, we, we 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 actually did a uh, it made a we made uh, several gallons of uh, of brown sugar simple syrup, and we added some rock candy. We as a tradition, we go down to uh, to. Um, uh, the guys in Philadelphia, um, Shane's. Uh, Shane, Shane's, yeah. and we get some of their rock candy and throw it in there too. But you wouldn't necessarily need that. You just do it as a gesture. We or? do it as a, we we kind of mix it in there because it has an, an, an interesting flavor component to it. But it, it's expensive to try to do all of it with that. So we oh, yeah. we we do we make a simple syrup out of brown sugar. We took 100 pounds of brown sugar and we uh, we we diluted it in hot water and then oh. put it in there. So um, oh, that fruit. In the fruit, there's like a couple cases of uh, lemons and limes, or lemons and oranges. And the size of this vat, this... This is, uh, this is about 170 gallons. You'll often find Herman wearing his late father's fedora hats. Every bottle of Dad's Hat Whiskey has a hat on the label. Not only does it have a, f- a nice personal story about my dad's hats and so forth, but what's even more uh, interesting and long-term, longer lasting is that fedora hat communicates a nostalgia that we want to associate with our brand. We're bringing back a style of whiskey that had been gone. So we want people to see that hat and think of, you know, that whole nostalgia about bringing something back from the past. And it, it does that in a very, very powerful way. Paul, let's talk about Iron Hill Brewery and Restaurant. There are several locations in the region company's getting ready to open up its first Philadelphia location in September. Yes. At uh, 11th and Market. Yeah. Paul and I went on a hard hat tour of the facility and they had a little reception. And you, sir, holding holding this tray of uh, beers uh, like a server are not a server at all. You no, are... I am not. I'm the head brewer here. So I'll be the fellow making all the beer on premise. And uh, while the servers do a lot of the hard work for me in terms of getting to the guests and getting people the right beer, but I'm the guy making it. Congratulations. What's your name? Uh, My name's Ben Schamberg. And uh, what's your brewing background? Uh, So I just joined. I'm in my second year. I'm just going to pluck one of these beers off. Oh, please do. I'm in my second year uh, with Iron Hill. Before that, I was with Philadelphia Brewing Company for 10 years. I was the head brewer over there. I worked my way up to head brewer. Uh, I got my start with uh, Nodding Head uh, 12 years ago as an intern there. So I actually, this is my, I'm coming back to Center City again. Almost feels like home. Yeah, yeah, very exciting uh, project you have here. Yes, very exciting. I mean, we're brewing right in the shadow of William Penn. Uh, across from Reading Terminal Market in the heart of Center City. So uh, for me, it's a dream come true because Philadelphia is my hometown. And to be brewing beer in the heart of Center City, Philadelphia is unreal to me. <laughs> the crowds should be should should be huge, I would expect. Yeah, we're expecting a lot of traffic. Obviously, downtown Philadelphia, you get tourist crowds seasonally. Uh, you get convention 
traffic because we have a convention center uh, right a block away from here and, and just your downtown Philadelphia traffic as well. So we're expecting it to definitely be a very uh, busy location for us. <laughs> I had to make sure I have enough beer on hand to, uh, to tame everyone's thirst here. Chris Lobo is the general manager. We have four fermenters and we have eight holding tanks. We bring a couple beers in from some of our other restaurants, so we get a nice rotation of all our seasonal. We try to keep anywhere between 15 to 20 beers on tap, and so you come in one week, we're gonna have certain beers, and next week, we'll have a different variety of beers. We're gonna have an outdoor place. I think 50 some people. It's not gonna be on the sidewalk with all the pedestrian traffic. It's gonna be in between the two towers, so it's it will be you know to the side, and it'll be protected from from uh, you know, people bumping into your table or trying to uh, uh, drink your beer while you're not looking. You always got to watch for those. Watch your beer. Protect. Forget your wallet. Protect your beer. A tippler is a habitual drinker of alcohol. And in Old City, there's a colonial walking pub crawl dedicated those who appreciate libations and history. John and I went on the uh, Tipplers tour. Wait, does that make us habitual drinkers of alcohol? I don't know. I think we're Tipplers we, now. Oh. I mean, we may have always been, but we just didn't know it. <laughs> they brought out our, our inner Tippler. So <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we met our group at the Betsy Ross house in Old City, and then we hit the streets with a colonial reenactor tour guide who led the way to the first of four four drinking establishments. We followed our Tipler tour guide through the streets of Old City to the Renaissance Philadelphia Downtown Hotel at 4th and Chestnut Streets. I thought I'd start the evening off with something classy. Hotels, which are in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, Indian King, Indian Queen Tavern. Matter of fact, His Excellency likes to dance the night away at the Indian Queen Tavern. They have a livery, a stable, that will hold, as an advertisement, 100 horses which means if they can take care of 100 horses in the carriage like, they certainly can take care of the clientele that will establish the building. So, shall we go in? A group of 10 quickly made friends, and we drank a beer and nibbled on snacks. We were taught a toast that we were encouraged to recite at all of the four locations. May they have cobweb breaches. They have cobweb breeches. A porcupine saddle. A porcupine saddle. A hard trotting horse. A hard trotting horse. And an eternal journey. And an eternal journey. We had a cider at National Mechanics and a beer at Victoria Freehouse, where one of our fellow tipplers decided to lead the toast we were taught. May they have cobwebs in their britches? I'll buy it. May they have cobwebs in their britches. And then, to our surprise, Benjamin Franklin appeared. Who invited that guy? No, you didn't even notice that he was there. I didn't. You're looking at your phone. <laughs> what? What happened? I'm a habitual phone user too. <laughs> oh my God! 
bed, Frank. You woke me again. What? What happened? You woke me again. I'm sleeping back in. You always bring in these rowdy people. We have a we have a reputation here in the city of Philadelphia. We're tipplers. Tipplers. We're learning. We're educating ourselves. We're having libations. Hello, John. Hello, sir. How are you? Nice to see you again. And we're here to. Well, we're hoping to find you. We sang songs. Then it was off to the historic city tavern where our forefathers once imbibed a raspberry shrub drink was served there. So we're on the tipper tour, and, um, you know, this is our first time, but there are people that go on it, like, religiously almost. Regulars, and they're with us. Yeah. What's your name? I'm Ellen. Ellen and? Tisha. Great. Now, okay, how many times have you been... Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. We've been coming since 2007. Every uh, year? Or? Uh, well, the first summer we came. I think maybe four or five times actually, and then at different life stages or celebrations we come back. So you're here to celebrate what? Well, Tisha's getting married in September. Yeah. And so we're sort of right. celebrating that milestone in her life. Very cool. So and you're we're celebrating our also our reunion of friends. So that's one thing we've always done is bring friends on the Tipler tour. Very cool. So what do you like best about it? Do you learn something different every time, or we do? And I think um, it's the it, it's sort of to me it's Philadelphia in a nutshell because you learn history. It's really um, an innovative thing to do. Hip huzzah! Well done. Well done indeed. I've never toasted like that. Uh, no, that's 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 new. No, that's new. <laughs> More information on the Tipplers Tour at historicphiladelphia.org. So Yarns is one of our favorite brewers. It is, yeah. One of our favorite breweries, right? And uh, they're great people over there, great new facility and, um, and good, beer. good beer. They brought us over for a uh, tour of their, their canning operation. And you know, look. Let's face it. We we you go on one tour of a brewery. You, you've seen one. You've seen them all. Usually uh, really hot. Usually really hot. <laughs> and, and but you know, as far as the the mechanics of it and how they work, they all work the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we had no expectations when we went on, we were just going to see the canning operation. And that was it. But how about Drink a beer? Uh, yeah. But the, the the thing that made it was the tour guide. How about him? His name was Mike Hans, and he was hilarious. So of all the stuff he had, um, yards. If you don't, if you're not familiar with yards, they do a series called Ales of the Revolution, and they feature real beer from made from real recipes from some of our founding fathers. And and Mike did a riff on that, and we wanted to share that with you. Has anybody here ever tried or had any of our Ales of the Revolution? Yes. The George Washington Porter, Thomas Jefferson Tabernacle, and the um, uh, uh, Poor Richard's Group. Um, all of those, excuse me, it's now this uh, gold nail. It just, it just got renamed. I'm still getting used to it. It's a sexier name now, uh, but I'm just breaking old habits. Um, all of our Ales of the Revolution are actually historically verified recipes from our founding fathers. These are not tribute beers. We weren't just like, we love America so much, we're going to put presidents on the bottle. America, America, America. Actual beers from those actual guys. In the case of the Thomas Jefferson Golden Ale, uh, we actually procured that recipe from a letter that currently sits under glass at the Smithsonian. In that letter, Thomas Jefferson describes to a friend how he would make a beer using all of his ingredients on his farm at Monticello, uh, highlighting uh, wheat, rye, and honey. 
when we made it, it naturally clocked in at 8% alcohol. And we kept it at 8% alcohol. Also, funny enough, proving back then that Americans were awesome and they were day-loading at 8%. The Declaration of Independence was written on 8% alcohol. He probably couldn't even see the quill or the parchment. He was just like, I'm going to make a country. And he did it. And that's how America happened. You guys don't even need to read or go to college. Just drink beer and you'll learn everything about America you ever need. The George Washington Porter. 7% alcohol. And we know for a fact there was a porter he based on a Philly style that was already in place and he gave it to his troops. This makes sense because our troops obviously had to be delusional at the time to take on the largest army in the history of the world. These were farmhands. They were hiding in trees. Some of them didn't have guns or shoes. A couple of them didn't have hands. But they had 7% beer and they were happy. And they were hiding in the trees. The redcoats were coming. One guy looked at the other guy and said, I'm pretty sure we could take them. And they won! And that's how America happened. Do you understand how important beer is to the vitalization of America in this country? And we have them here. In the case of the Four Richard Spruce, Ben Franklin theorized you could use spruce tips instead of hops. But hops don't grow around here. So back in the day, he had to order them through, through England, from England through Amazon or eBay or whatever the hell they used back then, Hogwarts. I don't understand transportation sciences. Some of you are writing down like Hogwarts. Interesting. Um, in this case, Ben Franklin couldn't get any hops. Also, historically, if you remember, England was kind of like, we don't like you very much. But Ben Franklin was like, screw you guys, we don't need you guys, we can do whatever we want. And then England was like, well, we're not going to send you any more hops. And then Ben Franklin was like, well, can we talk about this? Like, why are you being so hasty? Uh, so we had to figure out a plan. So we wrote in Poor Richard's Almanac, and I don't have it right in front of me, so I obviously I'm paraphrasing. Uh, you guys can look it up. But he more or less wrote, why don't we go to ye old pine barrens? in Newark, Jersey. We will taketh the spruce tips, we will soaketh them in the wort. It doesn't taste exactly like hops, but it does taste exactly like Christmas, and everybody loves Christmas. Am I right? By the way, when I say patriots, high five to all my patriots, I uh, always mean US American patriots. I never, ever, 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 in any circumstance, ever, ever, ever mean the New England patriots. I'm not trying to deflate the issue. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, sometimes people get offended when I talk about that. Uh, and I'm, for that, I'm just like, welcome to Philly, bitches. Like, where did you think you were showing up today? Like, did you make a wrong turn? Did you come here looking for directions? No, you came here today to the home of the World Championship 2018 Philadelphia Eagles. So, know your role, guys. Know your lane. Um, but everybody here is from Philly, and you're like, screw the Patriots. I never liked them anyway. All right. Well, tours are five dollars a person and include beer samples and a souvenir. More information at yardsbrewing.com. Well, that's it. We'll have another round of Beer and Booze Bros real soon. You can find and subscribe to the Beer and Booze Bros on the radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Beer and Booze Bros is on Twitter at the Beer Bros. You can find me, Paul Kurtz, on Twitter backwards at Kurtz Paul. John McDevitt is at JM1060. And cheers to Tipler Tom Rickert, who helped produce this episode of the Beer and Booze Bros. Uh, for me, it's a dream come true. Tom is on Twitter at T Rick. Cheers, Johnny. Cheers, Paul. Cheers.